All right, we're going to jump back into this teaching series we've kind of been in for the whole summer called Shaped. And the whole idea of this series is looking at key verses that we've decided to make memory verses. That's right, all summer we've been giving you homework. I don't know if you've been reviewing these. I don't know if you've been like trying to learn them on purpose or if you're quizzing your family. I keep quizzing my kids and they always have some weird excuse about how they were serving in kids ministry and they didn't go to church. And I tell them the verse board thing was right there all week. You still should have learned. So uh, we're working on these memory verses as a family and uh, hopefully you are too. We just really believe that for the summer, we wanted to get God's word from our minds into our hearts. So each Sunday, we're looking at uh, a key verse that can really impact who we are and shape our faith. And then during the week, we're challenging you to memorize it. We're doing this across both campuses, you know, hundreds of people working on the same verses and allowing God to get a hold of us. So today's verse is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and it says this, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This is what Reese was quoting uh, while we were singing songs, just saying how this truth is really powerful and so so incredible, it's it's mind-blowing, it's hard to actually believe, that God says, I chose you. You're a royal priesthood, all of us. This is to anyone who believes in Jesus as their Savior. Uh, he's not just like, to this is to the really good Christians, or, you know, and no, this, is, this is for everybody. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light, okay? Uh, I, I want to just look at what this simple verse, simple yet profound, uh, amazing yet hard to believe, a powerful truth about you if you've put your faith in Jesus. Now, I know any given Sunday, uh, you might be here for the first time, or you might come all the time, you might be just walking with God and close to God, and you might be far from God. You might be totally uninterested. Maybe your friend invited you and promised you breakfast afterwards. Whatever reason, uh, we know that in this room, a lot of us would say, yes, I've put my faith in Jesus. He's the Lord and the Savior of my life. But we know that every week, there's people who haven't made that decision yet. So wherever you're at on that, we always say you are welcome here, and you don't have to fake it or try to fit in, or, 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 you know, this is a safe place to believe what you believe, explore your faith, ask questions. We hope that every time you come, you have a relational connection with somebody, and more importantly, leads to a relational connection with our Heavenly Father. And uh, so we don't want to pressure anybody, but just so you know, our agenda is we want to tell everybody that Jesus saves and they need him, and we hope that every person comes to a place where they understand that and put their faith in Jesus. So uh, if you haven't made that decision yet, you can just hear what we believe about ourselves. But if you're a Christian, this is a huge truth for you. For every person who calls himself a Christian, every person that puts their faith in Jesus, every follower, every disciple of Jesus, this is what... God says about each of us. And we read these verses, and it's not just about, oh, that's for the really good Christians. I'm not there yet. I haven't been in the club long enough. I haven't practiced hard enough. I haven't memorized verses. You know, this is not a someday maybe this will be true about you. This is true the moment you put your faith in Jesus. And like Reese said, it's actually hard to believe that God would call me holy, that God would look at me like a priest, like a minister, you know, that, that, that I would be special to him, a chosen, like we are his people. And um, honestly, if you believe that you're saved, that's a huge miracle. That God would look at you and declare you righteous because of Jesus's death. And with that comes his indwelling of his Holy Spirit, eternal life, and all these other things well. That it, it's, a, it's an enormous, hard-to-believe miracle that he would save us because we don't deserve it. But he says, not only have I saved you, I've 
called you, I've chosen you to be on my team. I don't know if you ever played like pickup basketball, you know, or whatever sport, soccer, volleyball, whatever sport you play, maybe it's gym class or after school or at youth group or a friend's house, but um, we, we used to, when I started like in eighth grade going to youth group, I thought it was okay, but I knew we got to play basketball afterwards. That's all I cared about, right? And there was a couple kids that were really good at basketball, and I was like this little puny twerp that didn't really belong on the same court, but they'd pick teams. And when that one guy that was awesome, Brian, he would pick me sometimes, probably because I was the, you know, the only kids left in the gym, but whatever, I'd be like, I can't believe I get to be on his team. This is too good. I don't deserve to be on the same court as him, let alone like get a pass from him, right? Like this is how I felt. And God's like, yeah, I chose you. I picked you on my team. I didn't just save you. I want you on my team to help the cause. I've called you, I've, I've equipped you for, you're a priest. You're a holy priest. You are a gathering of people who are sent out in my name to do great things. This is what God says about every single disciple. The, uh, the theological term that we say is uh, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, okay? This is, uh, you know, one of those long things that you might not, like, you know, weave into a conversation, but uh, this is the 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 nuts and bolt term of what we believe. All believers are involved in the priesthood, that we're all equally priests, you and me, whether you're in a, a chair or, or standing on stage. And honestly, I, I'm very aware that I don't believe, deserve to be on stage. Like, I'm like, God, are you, God must have a crazy sense of humor that he would ask me to be a pastor. And I sometimes feel bad for you guys that you picked this church, right? Like, but you know what? You could easily be up here. In fact, for this series this summer, we've had nine different people that are going to be speaking uh, across this summer series, unpacking God's truth, because we don't believe only one person can or should do that, that we're all called to be priests. And, and in the Old Testament, where, where these people were coming from, a priest had this high calling, and they were very holy men, and how they lived their life, and, and the ministry that they carried on, and there was all these regulations, and, and they represented the people. The people could not go and be before God. They had to have this in-between person, this priest, and they wore fancy garments, and there was all this stuff about who they were, and it was this high and mighty position, and then after Jesus comes, he says, now I've changed that. Now whoever follows me with all their heart is, is a priest. You can talk to God on your own. You can go before God and, and confess your sin and be forgiven. You can open up your Bible and read. You don't have to have someone tell you what it means. Now, we do believe that God uh, gives us each other so we can encourage one another, that God gives some people the gift of, of teaching or preaching so that they can help the congregation you know, by unpacking God's word. But we believe that any of us are called for ministry. All of us are given the Holy Spirit to understand his word. And so I love that this summer we've been able to have several people four of which have never done it before, uh, come up here and, and unpack God's truth and, and share how it's shaped their life and encourage each of us in the same way. This is what we believe about the priesthood of all believers. What that basically means is that all believers have the right and the authority to read and interpret and apply the Bible. That God equips all of us. He gives us the right and the authority to read it and to actually understand it and to know how to live it and then to encourage others in it. And, and, and we don't need a priest to forgive us for our sins or to bring us before the throne. We all have the right and the authority to pray to approach the throne of a holy God because we're priests. He's declared that about us. We're holy, a holy nation, a holy royal priesthood, okay? Uh, we believe that Christ came and he fulfilled perfectly the priestly role through his life and his death and his resurrection. And he was the one perfect and final priest necessary from the Old Testament system to the new covenant, the new testament system. And um, when he died on the cross, this 
huge temple curtain was ripped. And this is the curtain that kept, you know, the regular folks like you and me out of the holy area where they believed God's presence was that only certain priests could go into for certain occasions. And that God tore that curtain from top to bottom, and it was this thick thing. It was no accident. It was a miracle when Jesus died because it was him saying, now everybody's welcome to hang out with God because you're a royal, holy priest. He was perfect, and he was the final priest so that in him we all are called priests and have the same rights and authority. So we're not dependent on a pastor or a priest to, to do all these things for us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have pastors or ministers or priests or different traditions, call them different things. Uh, we see that even in the New Testament, they're prescribed to churches, they're given, they're, there's uh, what qualifies someone to be in that position, how you should do that, and uh, we believe that that's really a thing. This, this whole phrase, the priesthood of believers, kind of comes from the 1500s, you know, like a long, long time ago, from Martin Luther. Now, he didn't actually say the priesthood of all believers, but he wrote a lot about this. He was one of the leaders of the Reformation. So after Jesus you know, gave the church authority to the early disciples and he ascended back into heaven, they started the church and it started to become popular and it started to become law and, and, and they started to have bishops and priests and, and it wasn't all bad, but it started. Be, they got tied up in their own traditions. And the Reformation was about people saying like a thousand years later, hey, I think we've gone off on our own traditions more than Scripture. And so uh, Martin Luther was one of the leaders of this, and uh, he spoke and wrote on a lot of things. One of the things he wrote about was how we don't need a priest to represent us. That's, that's different since Jesus. And what he said was this, there is no true basic difference between laymen and priests, between religious and secular except for the sake of office and work, but not for the sake of status. This is the idea of the priesthood of all believers, that we all have equal status before God. We are all equally sinful, and we're all equally forgiven. We all equally receive his Holy Spirit. We all equally get eternal life. We all are equally equal in our status before God. Now, uh, he might call us to perform different duties in the church or you know, in, in life, different roles, but not different status. Uh, Martin Luther wasn't talking about this to try to bring pastors and priests down. He was talking about this to try to bring everyone up in their own life. Because it's so easy sometimes to say, well, that's, that's what priests do. That's what pastors do. That's what evangelists do. That's, what, that's the work of a missionary. You know, last week we had someone, at the last two weeks, we've had someone on this stage sharing how they grew up at this church and now they're in full-time missionary work, raising funds and, and watching God provide and, and use them because we believe that everyone can be sent. And you might be sent to your own office, your own home with your own kids, or to Haiti. But uh, we believe that we're all equally saved, equal status as priests before God. It's kind of hard to believe. But if you believe that he declares you righteous to begin with and, and worthy of going to heaven because of Jesus, then our calling and how he uses us um, goes right along with it. So uh, Martin Luther never said we shouldn't have pastors and priests. He just said, don't see them as like elite and special and more worthy. We're all on that same level. Um, Paul talks about the roles of pastors. So our, our church, we don't have priests. We have pastors and different staff members, and we have volunteers that lead other teams and things like that. And uh, we, we see these kinds of things prescribed for the church in the New Testament. Here's what Paul says about the specific role. He says this, Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Okay, so he's like, Christ said we should have apostles and pastors and teachers. And then he says, why? Here's the role of a pastor and a teacher to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So 
I know people have been teasing me because I haven't done this in like four or five weeks, right? I've just been sitting there like a lazy passer, okay? And, uh, and I've just been loving it. I've been loving the idea that someone else can get up here hearing from God and sharing. And, and uh, someday he might ask you to do the same thing. Maybe do a small group. Maybe do a group of teenagers. Maybe right here on this stage. Maybe in Haiti. But he's called all of us as priests to do good works for him. But Paul says, Christ himself gave these official roles for leadership in the church, and their goal isn't for the pastor to do all the work, for the pastor to do all the teaching, for the, you know, for the priests, the holy rollers, to, to get all the holy things done. It's to lead people to do the work, to equip the people, to train the people, to send the people out, that this is an all play. We believe that we together make up the body of Christ. We are the church. And in the church, God has all of us for good works, okay? I want to look at, actually, earlier in this same passage. We were looking at our key verse today is in 1 Peter 2.9. Earlier in the passage, um, Peter is writing, and before he says, you're a royal priesthood, a chosen, before that verse, this is what he says. As you come to him, talking about Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, and precious to him. Okay, now, I just want to pause really quickly where he says this whole, Jesus is the, this is something that was prophesied in the Old Testament, that they would build, you know, a foundation, and they would start with this one perfect, sanded, smooth, square cornerstone, and the rest of the foundation and the rest of the building was set on the foundation and the direction and the purity of that cornerstone. And he says, and it was prophesied that our Messiah would be that cornerstone, and the church would be built upon him. And Peter is saying, that was Jesus. Um, but some people rejected that stone. And he actually goes on and he says, Jesus is the stone, like it or not. You either build your life on him or you stumble over him. And this is the truth that we believe, that we will all someday stand before our heavenly Father, the King of heaven, and we will say, did we build our life on Jesus or was he a stumbling stone to us? But there's no other way around it. We are saved or we are unsaved. We have put our faith in Jesus or we haven't. That's what he's talking about here. But as he says that, he says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, or your uh, different translation might say a temple, to be a holy priesthood, same phrase he's going to say in a few sentences, Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. This is a, a really interesting thing. Based off the Old Testament prophecy and how they saw the temple and their structure of religion back then, uh, him talking about Jesus as the cornerstone, and then he says, we are living stones, which is a weird thing, right? If you had a living brick in your house, it would walk away, right? You wouldn't want that. We want stone, real dead stones in our house. But he, he gives us this image that we are part of the building, part of the temple. And figuratively, we are the temple. We're the body of Christ. And, and he says, but we're alive. We're not just duds in that. We're not just sitting there still. We're actively being shaped and used by God. He's the cornerstone, and we're like many stones. Each of us, none of us are the building, but together we make up this spiritual home. Uh, that's how Peter talks about it, okay? Peter says that the, the church is a temple. Now, Paul, Paul talks about the church as a body. A couple of different places when the apostle Paul is writing, he says, we're like the body of Christ, and Peter's like, we're like the temple of God. And, and they're both these, these ideas trying to show us how, where we fit and how we fit together. So Peter says the church is a temple, Christ is the cornerstone, and we're all living stones, part of what he started. In a similar way, Paul says um, the church is the body of Christ, and 
Christ is the head. We take our direction. He, he's our leader, but we are all body parts. And Paul gets real specific, like about eyeballs and hands and stuff. And like none of them make up a body and they all need each other. And that's his picture of what the church is. And the same thing with Peter's stones as part of a building that none of us are the church on our own, but together we fit together as a royal priesthood able to be used in, by God in, in incredible ways. Different authors getting at the same idea with different, the abstract language. But um, either way, Jesus is the head, the cornerstone, the foundation. We are part of what he started. We are following him as our leader, and we all fit together. We don't just, it's not just me and Jesus. It's, it's you and me and Jesus. It's us together following Jesus. In both descriptions, it's clear that we stand on his foundation. We follow him. And both descriptions are active, right? We're not just stones. We're living stones, we're body parts, alive, doing things. We have roles to play, and they interact. Your bones are no good without your muscles, and your muscles are no good without your brain, and it all works together. And this is the idea of a church, that we need one another. All the body parts need each other. All the stones need each other to connect, to make their strength. We work together. Okay? We carry out what Jesus has started, and this is what we're called to as a royal priesthood. We're called to do good works in the name of Jesus that more people would come to know him. We do this when we gather on Sundays. We do this when we go to work on Mondays or school in a couple of weeks. Like, this is, this is what we do. And we gather to worship, but we scatter all week. And everywhere we go, we're called to represent God as a royal priest. I don't know if you have a different attitude on Sunday morning on your way to church as you do on Monday morning on your way to, like, work or school. Right? Sometimes we, we, we don't mean to, but uh, especially if you're serving so like our kids people right now, we got, we got just dozens and dozens of kids every week, right? They're, they're, they're coming out of the spaces we created for them. And so we got a whole bunch of adults, and most of them serve every other week. And so I don't know how they all feel on their on week, right? Because now I'm here to work. I'm here to, I got to give the Bible study. I got to, you know, I got to do whatever part I play. And like, there's a thing where you know you're on. When you're going to work, you know like this, uh, what I'm here for. I'm leading this team. I'm getting this project done. And so um, for me, sometimes I'm like Sunday mornings, I'm a pastor, right? And then I'm at Walmart the next day or later that day. And I'm like, I got to remind myself, hold on, I want to be as loving and as good at Walmart to random people as I am on Sundays to my good friends that I worship with. Because God calls us to be holy priests, representing him and serving him at all times, everywhere we go. This is his goal for the church. This is our strategy as the church. We hope that people stumble in or you invite them and drag them in on Sundays and they hear about Jesus and become saved. But we know that's going to be a few people. Our hope is that many people will hear about Jesus from all of us everywhere we're at. Baseball games, soccer practice, English class, the cubicle next door, you know, um, that's our goal. I, I hope that people are coming to this church because they've heard about Jesus from us before they got here. And if someone comes and they don't know yet, we'll tell them and hope they get saved here. But our hope is that the church goes as an army of royal priests equipped by God to do his work that he started as we follow him and pull it off. So we'll get back to First um, Peter, where he talks about um, this idea of a temple and living stones. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones, right? He's the living stone. We're like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I love this idea that it says being built. You're not a finished product and neither am I. We're living stones, and we're still being shaped. We're, we're still being formed. We're still growing. We're still 
becoming stronger. Like, and, and as a group, we're being shaped and forming. And so uh, God is at work in each of us, and God is at work in us together um, as we are being built into his holy temple. We're a work in progress, but God is the one doing the work. And uh, he's doing it not only that we would grow as individuals, but that we would continue to fit better for the sake of his glory and his church. Then it says, like he says later on, we're a royal priesthood, which we'll get to in verse 9. And then he says we offer spiritual sacrifices. Again, to Peter's audience back then, they knew a lot about sacrifices. Because before Jesus came, they had priests. And of, of the many things they did is they offered sacrifices. People would bring their, their bull or their lamb or, or their burnt vegetable offering, whatever they had, and, and the priest would oversee it, and, and the priest would bring it to God and, and consecrate it unto God. And, and, uh, and then we believe that Jesus was the once and for all perfect lamb of God, the final sacrifice, that we don't have to keep doing that. So you guys didn't bring any bulls today, and I don't have to burn them, right? But if this was before Jesus came, that would have been part of our thing. And so instead of praying for the offering, we'd be praying for our burnt lambs and whatever, however they did it. And it'd be very complicated and messy. And I don't know if the school would like it very much, mopping up the blood afterwards. But this is what they did in their worship services before Jesus came. And um, so what are these spiritual sacrifices? It reminds me, if you know uh, another, we could have made this a memory verse. In Romans 12, it says we should offer ourselves as living sacrifices. When he says we're living stones and we offer these spiritual sacrifices, it reminds me of this language that Paul uses in Romans 12 about um, being living sacrifice. That we're not a dead animal. We offer ourselves to God to be used, to be shaped, to be sent, to be interrupted, to be inconvenienced, whatever it takes for his cause in our heart and through our lives. This is what we offer as spiritual sacrifices. It's, it's different than bringing bulls and lambs for forgiveness. It's offering our very self that he would have his way in our hearts and he would use us in the world. Okay? Um, it also is interesting, this little passage about stones, when Peter is writing this, right? First and second Peter, they're written by Peter. He was really arrogant and named him after himself, I guess. Or, I don't think that's true, but I always like to pretend that. But uh, Peter's writing this. Peter was the, one of the leaders, of, like the leader of the, the early church. And, and there was this moment where Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. And he's like, what do people think about me? Who do they say I am? And Peter says, you know, they talk about what some people think. And then Peter says, but you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, that's exactly right, and it was God who gave you that answer. And then he says this famous phrase about, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And he's talking about that nugget of truth, this rock, what you just said is so rock solid, that truth is going to save lives and change the world. I will build my church on what you just said, the truth that God gave you. And then Peter, the same guy who heard that from Jesus' lips, comes to the church and he says, we're all like little rocks that God is building and building his church together with us and through us. And the same promise is true. The gates of hell will not overcome Jesus' church. And you and I get to be part of it. And then, of course, he goes on to uh, this next verse that we looked at earlier. That He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into wonderful light. Like, it's hard enough to believe that we're holy and, and saved and we're all equally priests and called before God. But then he says, the reason is so that other people will see the goodness of God through you and put their faith in him and be saved. That other people will see who Jesus is. And um, I, when, I, when I started this church almost three years ago, 
Pastor Errol, our lead pastor, we had a, a staff meeting. He led us through this thing that he called the funeral exercise. And uh, at first, I'm like, this seems a little corny. You know, like, what do you want people to say about you when you die? What, 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 what do you want? What would, if you could write your own eulogy, what would you hope would be said? And at first, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just go through this. And then I found myself really glad that we did it. Because the idea is, I don't know what someone might say about you when you're dead, but they're not, like, you don't care. If you were the dead person listening, you're not going to care how rich you were, how good at your job you were. You're going to hope that the people you loved knew it right? You're going to hope that the things that you cared about showed, and then your priorities were in line. And so I found myself writing things down about, like, I hope my kids know that I love their mom. Wait, 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 wait. before that, I hope, I, hope my, I hope everyone I know knows that I love God, right? And so I'm like, putting my priority, I'm like, this is, this is how I want to be seen. Whether I'm really good at my job or super rich and famous, none of that matters as much as the people that I love and how they see who I really, like, the, like who I actually am. And, and then as I was writing, I was like, well, what else, if, if someone was talking about, like, who I really was, and I, I wrote down this phrase, I uh, uh, hope that people know that I helped other people be used by God. And it was like, I had this moment with God, like, I've been a pastor for 15 years. I, I've given myself to what Paul said, like, my goal is to equip people, high school kids, junior high kids, adults, parents, whoever, to do God's work in the world, and, and to to worship and celebrate together as we go. And it was like, I'd never felt it so clear. Like my life's passion is to help other people be used by God. I want to be used by God, but I don't want to do it on my own. And I don't want anybody just to watch me. I want them to join me. And if I see somebody else, I want to join them because we're called to do it together. I had never had such a clear little concise statement. And I wrote it down and I saved it on my desk like, that's what I want to be known for, because that's what I want to be about. I want to be someone who helped other people be used by God. And if you're a part of this church, I hope that you would say, that church has helped me be used by God. Whether it was on one of our serve teams on a Sunday morning or a Thursday night or whatever, or it was, you know, everywhere else you go during the week, but somehow we're being shaped together. We help each other become shaped. And that's what this verse is saying, that other people will praise God as they see his royal priesthood in action. That everywhere we go, at all times, we're representing him, we're, we're living for him, we're, we're leading for him, and um, that's what we want to be known for as individuals and especially as a body. So what? what? What does this mean for you? And I just want to say two simple things. The first is, believe it. If you're someone who says, I'm a believer in Jesus, he's my savior, I'm a Christian, then like Reese said, sometimes this is hard to swallow. Maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you've never thought, yeah, I'm, I'm as good as Pastor Errol or the Apostle Paul. I'm just as saved, and I stand before God as a royal priest. That's how he sees me. I, I just want you to believe it. If you need to spend time praying about it, pray about it. If you need to ask God to help you believe it, ask him to help you believe it. Sometimes instead of just asking to help, like just say thank you, start thanking him for the truth, and it becomes more real in your mind. But I want, I want all of us to get this in our minds and into our hearts to see, see ourselves the way God sees us. It's true of you, whether you like it or not, whether you've heard it before or not, so let's be a people that believe it. You know, just this week, 
And as I was reading my Bible, I've been reading First Chronicles, right? It's like the boring part you might skip, I don't know, but it's about all the kings, and I was reading about David, and David, like, he kills Goliath, and later he becomes king, and they're, like, wiping out all the enemies, and he's, like, the greatest king that ever lived, and God's just totally doing, and he says, all right, who am I? I got this awesome house, and our temple is like a tent. I got to build God a real house. This is embarrassing. And then God comes to him through the prophet and says, hold on, you're like a blood-stained warrior. I'm going to let, I love your heart, great idea. I'm going to let one of your kids build me a temple. Um, because they'll have clean hands. You've done all this, you know, valiant effort through war to get peace for my people. And, um, but then God says, but, and he goes on with this whole list of promises about how I'm going to keep someone on, in your dynasty forever, and I'm going to bless you. And he gives all these amazing, encouraging promises to David. And this is First Chronicles 17. And, and David, then, you see what he prays back to God. And he says, who am I that you would be so good to me? Which you and I see King David is like up here, right? He's this amazing leader, military champion, huge faith, blessed and used by God in huge ways. But he sees himself as just a dude. He's like, who am I that you would make these kinds of promises to me? This is ridiculous. I'm just a dude. And he says, here's two things I wrote down. You speak as if I was someone great. <laughs> David's like, I'm not as great as you think I might be, God. Or all these people think I'm a great king, but I'm just a dude. I got them fooled. I got lucky with that one rock at that big dude, and like it was all uphill from there, right? I, I, and then he says, you know what your servant is really like. He's like, God, you know who I really am. All these people that call me king, they think I'm awesome, but you know, you know I struggle, I doubt, I sin, I'm just a dude, I'm not as great as people think I am. Like, why would you make these amazing promises to me? Why would you bless me in this way? I'm just, I'm just a nobody, That's, even though I'm king. And this is how I feel as a pastor. Like, I'm like, all right, God, I think you, you, know, you must have had your eyes closed when you pointed in my direction. You're probably looking at somebody next to me, but I'll, I'll do whatever you ask because although I don't feel real holy and righteous and super awesome and super smart, if you have called me to be a royal priest, I'll do my best. And the more we all see ourselves that way, I don't deserve it. I can't believe God picked me, but we are chosen. We are royal. We are holy. We are a gathering of priests sent and called and equipped by God. He will change the world. So just believe it. It was hard for David to believe. It might be hard for you to believe. Oftentimes it's hard for me to believe, but we just claim the promise that if God says so, then I'm going to go with him. And if he can use David and he can use me, I know he can use you. So just believe it. Do whatever it takes to, to let that sink in. But then, act like it. I don't know if your parents, my parents would say this to me. I say this now to my kids. You know, like, um, <laughs> act it. Act your age. You know, or I, when I would get in trouble in school, like, I was totally fine getting in trouble for what I did, but I hated getting in trouble for what other kids did because they watched me, right? They'd be like, you're in eighth grade. You know, you need to act like it. Now the seventh graders are doing what you did. I'm like, hey, that's on them. You know, like, you go punish them. I'll take what I, but like, we're called to act the way, you know, you're, a, you know, you get a promotion at work. Now there's new requirements of you, and we're called to act like you know, where we're at. I want to share one more verse, and this is what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Maybe you're like, I didn't even ask God to be a priest. I can't believe he chose me. It's none of my business. I just want to go to church, try to be a good person. And God's like, nope, I already called you. I already chose you. I've already equipped you. I've got good plans in, in, in advance prepared for you to walk in. Now you go act like it. Act like a priest. You're not perfect, but do your best to follow me and honor me with others on Sundays, on Mondays, when you're alone, everywhere you go, act like it. 
Believe that you are who God says you are, and then live a life worthy of that calling. We are all unworthy, and we see ourselves as that. But God says, but I'm with you, and I can work through you, and I can use you. And as long as you will go and believe that you are a royal priesthood, then I will use you in powerful ways. That's my prayer for this church. Whether we're handing out water bottles at a race or singing songs on a Sunday morning or we're all separated in different places as we go through the week, I pray that we believe and act like the royal priesthood that we already are and that God does amazing work through each of us. And we come back to sharpen each other and we bring new people with us so they can hear about Jesus. But uh, his strategy is to use all of his people everywhere we go so that other people will sing his praises. I want to invite Reese up. And the band, they're going to sing one more song with us. And uh, this song just sings this truth that we've, we've been discussing today, that we're chosen and we're called and we're equipped as priests. And it's hard to believe, but we need to believe it. And then we need to act like it's actually true. And we, and we need to trust God to use us. And, and if it's true, then we need to surrender our hearts to him, just like Jesus. Have your way. Not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will. And so I want to invite you to stand and to sing with us. And if you know the song, sing it out. If you don't, uh, let the words come into your mind and, and just make this your prayer that we would just surrender ourselves to God and say, okay, God, I believe I am who you say I am, even if I don't feel like it. I'm gonna do my best to live worthy of the calling that you've already given me. The calling is not based on how I live. How I live should be based on the calling. So help me to live the way you've called me to live and to be used the way you've promised to show up and as we go at it, we'll just bow our hearts to God because it's his power through us that will be used. So uh, let me say a quick prayer and then they'll close us out with a song. Heavenly Father, thank you for this truth. Things about us that we hear from you. You are the creator of all the earth, the heavens and the earth. The places we have not built a telescope big enough to see or a submarine or a camera that can withstand pressure to go deep enough. You, you made all of it and you spoke it with your words into existence. And with those same words, God, you speak to us about who we are. I pray that you'll help us to believe it. I pray that you'll equip us to act like it so that everywhere we go, people will see you. It wouldn't be about us or our glory. It would be about you. That our service, our very lives, would be an act of worship. I pray that you'd help us to believe that every second of every day. It's, it's, it's not easy to keep that mindset, but I pray that you'd help us to believe it and act like it, to live worthy of the calling, that we declare the truth that we are chosen by you, a special possession of yours, a royal priesthood, a holy gathering of people because of Jesus and in the name of Jesus. So we bow our hearts and we invite you in that you would have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray.